Welcome to the sermon podcast of Southside Baptist Church, a body of Christ located in beautiful Norman Park, Georgia. We are so glad you chose to listen in today. It's our prayer you would find the message of Jesus Christ compelling and uplifting, and that your life would be changing continually from hearing the Word of God. If you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. And now for today's message. A heart for the lost. In the next two weeks, we're going to conclude that series today and then next weekend as well as we finalize that off and as we kind of end that with our, our big evangelism explosion uh, weekend uh, next week. And so uh, I hope you're going to be a part of that uh, and, and be, uh, you know, we got invitations and all those other things. And so we're going to uh, continue with that this morning, Matthew chapter 28, a very familiar uh, passage of scripture uh, for us. We've, we've heard this for years. Many of us can quote this uh, by heart, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 uh, through 20 is going to be our our uh, focal uh, passage uh, this morning. And so, just a little bit of, of, of information for you. Uh, we're not going to have an invitation, a, a formal invitation like we typically do uh, on Sunday mornings at the end of the service. Uh, but understand this, uh, if God is working in your life, uh, whatever that decision may need to be, uh, I'll be here after service. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, so come, we can talk about it uh, later on. Uh, just because we don't have a formal invitation doesn't mean that God's not going to do things in the service. Uh, and so just know that uh, just up front, and we'll trans- transition right into uh, the Lord's Supper at the end uh, of our uh, service. But if you found that passage there in Matthew 28, Verses 16 through 20. Please stand as we honor the reading of God's holy, infallible word this morning. The title this morning is this, The Disciples' Marching Orders. The Disciples' uh, Marching Orders. And verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, and but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we come to your message this morning, Lord. And as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of of Christ, Lord, this is not only the marching orders for uh, Jesus' disciples when he gave uh, this, but it's also our marching orders as well. And so, Lord, as we kind of finalize or close out this series on evangelism, Lord, it, it seems fitting that we would close uh, with the uh, closing that you gave to your disciples here and the marching orders that you gave your disciples as we go out and we do the same. And Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you uh, for the Great Commission, Lord. And we ask now that you uh, help us to be uh, disciples that uh, make disciples. Father, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
So when I think of getting my marching orders, I think of a set of orders or a set of instructions about something in particular that I'm supposed to do. In fact, when you know the formal definition of marching orders, it's instructions given by a superior officer to his troops, usually directing them to depart. Now, informally, marching orders is this. They're defined as a dismissal or a sending off. And so think about it. Troops are given their marching orders by their superior officer. They're sent off to do what? To fulfill those marching orders. Children, kids. Kids are given their marching orders by their parents. They're sent off and they're to fulfill those marching orders that the parents have given them. Players. Players on a certain team or whatever that team is. They're given their marching orders by their coaches. Their coaches send them out to fulfill whatever the marching orders of that coach was. And then coaches themselves, they're given their marching orders by their superior, which is usually that authority, maybe the NCAA or it may be the local school board or whatever it may be. But they're giving those, they're given those marching orders. They're sent out and their uh, design or their, the desire there is for them to fulfill those marching orders. And so we all receive instructions from our superiors. And thus, when we receive those instructions, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to depart and we're supposed to fulfill whatever those instructions were and they're given uh, to us. And so when you look at our passage this morning, essentially what's happening here is Jesus has got his disciples gathered together and he's going to give them their marching orders. And the desire of Jesus is not for his disciples to stand where they were and stay where they were. No, he gives him their marching orders and says, listen, this is what you do. Now go and do it. Novel idea, yeah? And so in verses 16 and 17, basically we get the context of this passage. And Jesus, the Bible says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Jesus has resurrected. This is during the 40-day period for the time of the resurrection to Jesus' ascension. But he has directed, if you remember now, back in the early part of chapter 28, when, when the angel appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, she told them, what did he tell them? He said, go back and tell the disciples, listen, meet me in Galilee. And when they entertain, when they see Jesus later on in that passage down in verse 10, Jesus says the same thing. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And so the 11 take off to uh, Galilee. Now, when they arrive at Galilee, there's probably more than just the 11 there that Jesus is giving these marching orders to. There are probably some 500 plus that Jesus is giving uh, these marching orders too. And so Galilee was a long journey. It was uh, probably about a hundred miles uh, from Jerusalem. So it would have taken them about a week to get there. Nonetheless, the disciples of Jesus, they did exactly what Jesus said that they were to do. They made themselves available to the timeless teachings of the Savior and of the Lord. And so on this unnamed mountain there in the region of Galilee... Those who saw Jesus, some of them worshipped and some of them doubted. But regardless of that, the ones who did worship, there were the true and faithful followers of Jesus. And Jesus makes it crystal clear to his disciples then, as he does to us 
today exactly what he wanted them to do. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. Take the gospel and go to the world. Share it with the world. And so we're to do the same thing. So Jesus gives his disciples their marching orders. So the point this morning is this, church. Jesus instructed his disciples, listen, to be faithful and to be obedient workers in God's plan to redeem the world. And so for us, we're Jesus' disciples. We're the disciples. Listen, God is using us. We're the instruments that God is going to use or should be using And we should be faithful instruments and obedient instruments as workers in God's plan to redeem the world. So we're going to walk through this passage. We're going to see the characteristics, three characteristics of the marching orders of Jesus to his disciples. And remember, church, understand, sometimes we disconnect the reality that whatever Jesus says to his disciples these many years ago (laughs) is applicable to his disciples today. And so the first uh, characteristics of Jesus' marching order is this. The marching orders of Jesus assure his disciples of their authority for the mission. One of the things I've noticed about the Great Commission, when, when, when an individual says, oh yeah, the Great Commission, oftentimes they say, oh yeah, that's Matthew chapter, chapter 28 verses what? 19 and 20. We, we oftentimes miss the fact that, that verse 18 is a part of that. And in fact, verse 18 is probably the most important part of that because Jesus is letting us know who's in charge. He's letting us know who's in charge. Verse 18, he says, and Jesus came and he said to them, he stood before this mass of disciples and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Authority there it speaks of freedom and the right to speak or act as one pleases. Notice what Jesus says. He, 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 he clarifies that type of authority. He says all authority. It speaks of his absolute authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. It speaks of the authority in not only the heavenly realms, but on earth as well. It's a sovereign authority. It's universal. It's unlimited authority. In other words, Jesus is declaring his sovereign lordship. Not only from the heavenly realm, but also from the earthly realm as well. In Acts 2, chapter 2, verse 36, Paul writes this concerning the lordship of Christ. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus was not only Savior, but he was also Lord. And that's one of the things also that I think we get a little out of whack as followers of Jesus Christ is when we are saved, we're saved by Christ. He's our Savior, but Jesus is also our Lord. He is our Master. He is our Sovereign Lord. And so we're to follow his commands. We know that Jesus has authority. He had authority over diseases. He had authority over sickness and demons and even death. But notice what Jesus said. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The authority that Jesus had was given to him by his father. It was the father who had given Jesus his authority. And that kind of implies there that Jesus remained 
in subjection to his father. But the point there for us is this, is what the father had given to Christ. Jesus is basically saying, listen, I give that same thing to you as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus Christ. I give the authority of my father. I give the authority that my father had given to you. I give, or given to me, I give to you. And so he's saying that this authority I give to you, and as you go out to redeem this world, and basically what he's saying here is, is, is you go out and you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you may have heard this, well, who gives you the right? Who gives you the right to talk about uh, something so personal as my soul? Well, our response is this, church, the sovereign Lord of the universe the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who has all authority. He has given me the right to share the good news of the gospel with you. We don't do that in our own authority. We don't do that in our own power. We do that because we've been invested by the authority of Jesus Christ. So we evangelize again, not in our own authority. But the authority that has been given to us by Christ himself. Think about a referee in a football game. Those of you that watch football or play, had a big day of football yesterday, go Cats. But anyway, you got that referee in that game of football. That referee does not have the authority in and of himself to throw that yellow flag. That yellow flag doesn't give him the authority. That striped shirt doesn't give him the authority. That authority comes from a superior, somebody higher than him. And he uses that authority. And in the midst of that authority, that's where he gets his authority to make the calls and decisions that he makes. So he doesn't officiate the game based on his own authority to do so. But on the authority that has been granted to him or given to him by that organization he represents. And likewise, his disciples of Jesus. Listen, we do not do what we do. In this case, evangelize the world in response to or out of our own authority. We do it based on the authority that we've been given by Christ himself. And that authority has been given to us because we are followers of Jesus Christ. So in other words, when you and I become followers of Christ, when we're saved, we're immediately given the authority to share the good news of the gospel with the lost and dying world. Philippians 2, uh, 9 through 11. Speaking of the example of Jesus in humility, Paul writes this to the church there. Philippi says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So as true disciples of Christ, we've been given the authority to participate in the redeeming work of God. We're ambassadors. We're ambassadors for God. And so when we share the gospel, we share based on the authority of Christ who dwells within us and not based on our own authority. And so this should give disciples great comfort as we seek to reconcile a lost and dying world, knowing that we don't do what we do in the work of God's redeeming the world based on our authority, but based on His authority. But Jesus goes on. 
He establishes his authority. Now, this is important. Jesus would, would, have, would have needed to establish his authority to let everybody listen. Listen, I am the Lord. I am the master. And I have all authority. And so I'm giving uh, more orders here. Number two there, the marching orders of Jesus include the disciples' responsibility to the mission. The responsibility to the mission. Verse uh, 19 in the first part of verse 20 says, Go, therefore. Remember now, when you see therefore, it goes back to what Jesus has previously said. Because I have all authority in heaven and on earth, and because that authority has been given to me by the Father, and because I have given you that same authority, go, therefore. Right? Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the disciples' responsibility included a mandate here and a means used to fulfill the mandate. Now, oftentimes this verse is misunderstood. And in fact, if I'm transparent for years, I misunderstood what Jesus was trying to say here. And maybe if I asked you what the mandate in in this particular, what Jesus' mandate to his disciples is in this particular passage, or this verse, maybe you might think the same thing that I thought for years. Originally, when I read this passage of Scripture, I thought Jesus' mandate here was for his disciples to go. To go. But that's not Jesus' mandate. The mandate in this passage is to make disciples. That's the direct command of Jesus. That's the imperative. He says, listen, go, therefore, and make disciples. That's the imperative. That's the mandate. It's not go. Go there is a form of going. Going, baptizing, and teaching are the means by which we go and fulfill the mandate to make disciples. Make disciples is what we are supposed to do. We're to be disciples who make disciples, and those disciples make more disciples, and on and on and on and on. We do that by going, we do that by baptizing, and we do that by teaching. But we're to go and make disciples. Jesus has made that very clear. He says, make disciples of all nations. Well, what is a disciple, preacher? What's a disciple? A disciple is one who has truly placed his or her trust in Christ. A disciple is one who has received Christ as Savior and Lord. In other words, you have are a follower of Jesus Christ. There's that acceptance, but there's also that submission. I accept Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and I submit to His Lordship. That's what a true disciple is. It's not a, a, a disciple is not an individual who says, yes, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, but I'm not going to let Him be my Lord of my life. That's not a true disciple. True disciple is a follower or a learner. It's one who submits to follow and one who submits to learn. In other words, they're a learner. They're a follower. It's someone who receives instruction from another. A disciple basically here is someone who emulates the example of Christ. They cling to his sacrifices. They believe in his resurrection and they possess the Holy Spirit. And because they possess the Holy Spirit... That gives them the power to live to do the work of God. That is what a true disciple is. And so those who are already disciples of Christ, we're to be the instruments who make disciples. 
And so only a true disciple, only the one who has accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, who has made Jesus as Lord of their life, only those individuals can be true disciples. And only those are the ones who can go out and make disciples. And it stands to reason, church, because only true disciples are the ones who have the power of the Holy Spirit living within them. And it's through the power and the presence of the Spirit that gives us the ability to share the good news of the gospel. And so only true disciples have that power. Jesus says, of all nations, of all nations. Remember the parable of the sower? When the sower went out. To sow the seed, the sower didn't inspect the soil first and then attempt to throw the the seed on just a particular kind of soil. What did he do? He went out and he just broadcast that seed everywhere. He broadcast that seed. The problem with us, church, is oftentimes we want to be soil inspectors. (laughs) Well, I don't know that that person right there, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they'll think about this. I don't know. I'm not going to witness to them. I mean, do you see them? You look at them. They're not living. They don't live in my part of the world. Let's quit being soil inspectors. Let's just broadcast our seed and let God produce the growth. That's all we need to do. That's all we've been called to do. And that's what Jesus said. Just make disciples. So what does that look like? Well, he gives three means. We've already talked about that. The first means there is to go. That literally means as you go. And again, the church, the disciples of Christ, Jesus never intended his disciples to just sit, soak, and sour. And he doesn't intend us as his disciples to just sit, soak, and sour. He wants us to go. He extends that invitation. Well, what does that mean? That means whenever we go to work, whenever we go to play, whenever we go on vacation, wherever we go, as you go... You make disciples as you go. When you walk across the street to your neighbors, when you walk to the mailbox, when you do this, when you do that, when you're at the the gas station, wherever you are, you share the gospel. You make disciples. Second thing that Jesus says there is, not only do we go, but we also, he says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Baptize there. It's a Greek word, baptizo. It literally means to immerse in water. And we understand the significance of, of, of baptism. Baptism is that outward act. Okay, that outward act that identifies us as a true follower of Jesus Christ. It's that outward, that visible, that public testimony of the inward change that has taken place. It's, in other words, it's the outward uh, testimony of the inward change that we've had because now we have accepted Christ as Savior. Now we have made Him as Lord of our life. It symbolizes the death, the burial, and the resurrection to this new life. It's an act of obedience. And so it's important for us to understand, because it's an act of obedience, it's not a prerequisite. Now hear me, church. It's not a prerequisite for salvation. It's not a prerequisite for salvation. It's what we do as followers of Jesus Christ to be obedient to Christ after we have accepted Him as Savior and Lord. We follow Him in believer's baptism. 
we follow him in believers' baptism. So it's important to understand that because there may be some who are physically hindered. I imagine that prisoner in the local prison that has accepted Christ as Savior and Lord and he's not able to be baptized because of his incarceration. I don't think that if he has truly accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, when he gets to heaven, God's going to say, No, wait a minute, you weren't baptized. So you're not truly saved. What about the thief on the cross, church? What did Jesus tell him? Today you'll be with me in paradise. I don't see where it says anywhere that he was baptized. But the thing about it is, it's just a picture. It's a picture of our salvation experience. Now understand something. Disbelief is what condemns a person, not the fact that they did not get baptized. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you have an individual... There's a difference in an individual that's been saved and just is, is physically hindered or, or the circumstances beyond their control that they're not able to be baptized. There's a difference in that individual and the individual that has gotten saved or said they were saved and yet they have never followed Christ in obedience to be baptized and they continue to live that way. Listen, I question their salvation. Okay, I question their salvation. Jesus goes on and he says... In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this is not merely a ritual formula, but it is a beautiful picture of what that phrase shows during a baptism. And I, and I, and I say that phrase as I baptize some in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of unity. They're unified. They're, they're unified with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It's a picture of the rich union created in salvation as the believer is unified with the Trinity through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's what Jesus is talking about. It just speaks to that, that unity of that individual who has confessed Christ as Savior and Lord. And so Jesus says, listen, go and make make disciples. And we do that when we go. As you go, make disciples. And as you go, make sure that they're baptized. These disciples, they, they get baptized. You know, that could look like different things. Listen, if, if there's a pool of water uh, deep enough to, 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 to dunk them in, dunk them. Dunk them. Uh, you know, we do that at the church. We do that... Yeah, the ocean is a good place. The river is a good place. The creek's a good place. All those other things. But Jesus says, listen, baptism is part of that disciple. He goes on in the first part of verse 20. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus ends with this portion here. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Disciples, again, they're learners. They're followers. The disciples are learning how to be a follower who emulates Christ. They're they're learning how to be like Jesus. You know, unfortunately, what has happened with the church is is we're, we're somewhat good at getting people saved. I can share the gospel with somebody. I can preach the good news of the gospel. But the problem is, is once they get saved, once they get baptized, then what do we do with them? We don't do anything with them. We don't teach them. We don't teach them. This this teaching thing, this is a lifelong experience. 
This is a lifelong experience. It means uh, that the disciples of, of Jesus, they're continually being transformed in order to become more and more and more and more like Christ. Jesus says, you need to teach them all that I have commanded you. Scripture. Teach the, the words found in the Word of God. We're to, we're to teach the Bible. We're to teach people how to be disciples of Christ. We're to teach people how to be followers of Jesus Christ. We do that through our words, and we also do that through our actions. But it's our responsibility as disciples, as we make disciples, we're to go, we're to baptize, and we're to teach them continually. It's an ongoing process. Jesus says they're not only to be taught, but they're also to observe. Observe simply means to obey. Obey. So when we make disciples, Jesus is very clear. He gives us the means. And Jesus is he's such a master at this. He gives us the, the command to make disciples. And then he says, here, let me give you uh, how you're going to do that. Let me show you what that looks like. It's right there, church. It's right there. It's real simple. Now you think about that lawyer, you think about that doctor, you think about the preacher or whatever. They're continually setting under the teacher. Let me ask you this. If you, how many of you would want to go to a doctor who has never been a disciple? Nobody. How many of you would want to go to a lawyer that has never been a disciple? How many of you would want to sit under a preacher who has never been a disciple? Because if you have never been discipled, you can't make disciples. Consider the multitude of the lost people that you interact with on a daily basis. Some of you might be saying, well, preacher, how do I know that they're lost? Let me tell you this. Every time you interact with an individual, just assume that they're lost. Just assume that they're lost. And if you find out they're not lost, man, then you can have a celebration and a party right there in the middle of the road or wherever you're at. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, then Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The central focus of the marching orders of Jesus are for us to make disciples. We're to call the lost to commit to Christ as Savior and Lord. And when we do that, this is how we do it. We go. As we go about our lives, we share the good news of the gospel. And as we go, we, we share and we baptize and then we begin to teach. For it is the gospel that transforms the lives of those who are lost in dark world. And finally, the third characteristic third characteristic and I, and I actually look at this and I and, and Jesus in verse 18 Jesus and verse the last part of verse 20 is basically the bookends of this entire passage of scripture Jesus says this and behold and behold listen pay attention I am with you always to the end of the age the marching orders of Jesus included the disciples power power for the mission Acts 1.8, Jesus is preparing to send back in heaven and he tells his disciples this, but you will what? Receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The assurance 
Jesus gives them the assurance of the presence of himself. One commentator says this, Jesus is essentially saying, pay close attention, disciples. I myself, your divine, resurrected, living, eternal Lord, am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, listen, my divine presence will be with you. It'll be with you always. That's the power that you'll have to go and to, to baptize and to, and, and to, and to teach and, and to make disciples. That's the power. That's where your power will come from. The assurance of knowing that my presence is with you. In fact, I would argue that fulfillment of the Great Commission then and now is impossible. It's impossible without the presence of Christ. Without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Always there literally means all the days. So as individuals, we look at this from an individual point of view. From the time now until the time you take your last breath. Christ has commanded us to go make disciples. To make disciples. To go to baptize and to teach. And for the church, listen, that is our responsibility until the end of the age, until the church is raptured, until Jesus takes us home. Because, listen, there'll not be need to be any evangelism in heaven. Okay? Until Jesus takes the church home, we are to make disciples. We're to go, we're to baptize, and we are to teach. I've had an experience the last few weeks with my lawnmower. Uh, my lawnmower engine just finally decided to bite the dust. I thought I'd have another 10 years, but I only got 10 out of it. So I guess that's okay. But what I realized about that is the power for that lawnmower to do what that lawnmower was designed to do was all wrapped up in that engine. And without that engine, I couldn't cut grass. And so that engine went kapooey. And so that lawnmower was of no use. And so the same holds true with us. True disciples, without the power and the presence of the Spirit, are as useless as that lawnmower is without that engine. Acts 18, 9 and 10, the Lord assured Paul of his presence. And the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, he said this, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So as disciples of Christ, the presence of Christ dwelling in us, in in that of the Holy Spirit, is what gives us the power to make disciples. And so as we go, and as we baptize, and as we uh, teach, we do that through the presence and the power of the Spirit. Living within us. Let me conclude with this story. Author Robert Coleman tells the story of an artist. Seeking to depict on canvas the meaning of evangelism. He painted a story at sea. Black clouds filled the sky. Illuminated by a flash of lightning. A little boy. A little boat could be seen. Disintegrating under the pounding of the ocean. Men were struggling in the swirling waters. Their anguished faces crying out for help. The only glimmer of hope appeared in the foreground of the painting where a large rock protruded out of the water. There, 
clutching desperately with both hands, was one lone sailor. It was a powerful scene, writes Coleman. Viewing the painting, uh, one could see the storm as a symbol of mankind's helpless condition. The only hope of salvation was the rock of ages, a shelter in the time of storm. But Coleman continues, As the artist reflected upon his work, he realized that the painting did not accurately portray his subject. So he discarded that canvas and painted another. It was similar to the first. The black clouds, the flashing lightning, the angry waters, the little boat crushed by the pounding waves, and the crew vainly struggling in the water. In the foreground, the sailor was clutching a large rock of salvation. Very similar to the original painting, but here is what the artist changed. The survivor was clutching the large rock of salvation with one hand. And with the other hand, he was reaching down to pull up a drowning friend. That's the picture of evangelism. That's the picture of what God has called each of us as a disciple of Jesus Christ to do. Our right to talk about the gospel comes through the authority of the sovereign Lord of the universe. And so we go and we baptize and we teach all the while to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So church, let me encourage you today to go, to baptize, and to teach. Why? So we can make disciples who make disciples. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening today. We hope the word preached today would be used by God mightily as you go about your week. Again, if you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. Have a blessed day and may God grant you grace this week to grow more into the likeness of Jesus.